Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, I'm former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit with uh, talking on the offensive side of the ball. By the way, joined by uh, Anthony Prohaska of the Disguise Coverage podcast on Cover One. Uh, podcast network you can find his all his work on youtube and anywhere where you listen to podcasts um switching it over to the offensive side of the ball um let's talk about brian dable versus ken dorsey um there's there's no way to possibly know exactly what we're going to get out of ken dorsey just Mm -hmm. because he hasn't been an offensive coordinator yet in the nfl um the question i want to ask you is since you watched the film since you watched a lot of brian dable's work the last few seasons uh, just like anything, I imagine Ken Dorsey, especially if he's a growth mindset, he's looking at what his predecessor was doing and saying, hey, I really like what he did there. I don't like what he did there. Things I would improve on if I ever got the opportunity. Things I would keep the same that worked well if I ever got the opportunity. When Imagine that you're Ken Dorsey mm-hmm. and you're watching, and now, now Brian Dable's gone. This is your chance to take over the offense. What do you look at what Brian now now obviously like the majority of what Brian Dable did was very good. Obviously. Mm-hmm. It helped it helped get Josh Allen to where he where he is now. Um it helped aid him. He was like the training wheels that got him there. At some point I think Josh Allen kind of not surpassed Brian Dable, but like could potentially have gotten more out of someone else, potentially. Maybe mm-hmm. he was held back a little bit just in the fact that like, you know, I think Brian Dable was probably more rigid in some areas. Mm-hmm. Ken Dorsey, now now imagine you're Ken Dorsey. You're not rigid at all. You're open to anything. Mm-hmm. And you want to do things your way. What would you do differently that Brian Dable maybe didn't do that you think that they could improve upon knowing what you know about the Bills offense, knowing what you know about the new, the, the talent and the skills and the players that they have on the roster and knowing that the scheme that they play, what would you do differently? I think, you know, and you alluded to one of the first things, I think more fluidity in the approach. We saw a lot of times last year, you know, I think of the, the Pittsburgh game and I think of the Jacksonville game where it was just, it just seemed like there was a lack of adjustment and it was just like, nope, we're going to keep doing the same thing. It'll be okay. Like the Pittsburgh game, it was just like, run the ball a little. They're teeing off on the line cannot handle what's going on up front, like change it up. And he was like, nope, we're just going to keep doing it. It'll be fine. And it wasn't. And same thing with the Jacksonville game. Like they just kept running stunt and twist after twist. And it was just like, stop coming out in spread and subjecting the five offensive linemen to what's going on in front. Cause they can't handle it. And he was, I felt like he was just like, Nope, it'll work. Trust me. It'll be okay. So I think that fluidity in the approach, both on a macro level, like week to week, but also a micro level quarter to quarter drive to drive realizing like, okay, you know what? This was our game plan. 
ah, you know, I don't think it's working. Crumple up the paper, chuck it in the trash. Let's do something different. Try, you know, let's try plan B or plan C for this week. So I think a little more fluidity and adaptability early on in the approach. Um, and I, I also think just working in more of the run game early. I think this, this off, and this is something that I was clamoring for all year. And, um, you know, I had Nate Tyson from the athletic multiple times and, we were talking about the Bills offense needed a pivot throughout the majority of the year. And I feel like people forget a lot of the, the, the way the year ended in Kansas city. And it was like, Oh my God, Josh Allen's amazing. Gabriel Davis is amazing. This offense was like killing it. People forget like all the three and outs they had in the first half of that game and how they weren't really firing on all cylinders or the first half of the year where it was, it was like squeezing blood from a stone for a bit. Everything was hard. Even when they were scoring a bunch of points against like Washington and Houston, at times it just seemed like, granted there were some weather factors in there, but it just seemed like, why is this so hard? How come we get down to the red zone and then everything falls apart and we're not efficient down there? How come it seems so hard to just get like a 15-yard completion? Like what is going on? Things seem difficult. And they didn't have that run game pivot early on in the year. And then they switched um, around that Tampa Bay game, really in the second half of Tampa Bay, and just committed more to it, had more of a gap scheme focused, and were able to really take off. And that allowed the offense to open up because they had that pivot. And I know people, I know it's a passing league, and Josh Allen is the meal ticket. You have to have a pivot in everything. My favorite analogy for that is, I don't care how good your fastball is as a pitcher, you have to have a secondary pitch. You have to have a changeup or a slider or a curve. You have to have something else, or you have to change the location of your fastball. You can't just be like, nope, I'm throwing 99, you know, up and away every single time. That doesn't work. You have to change location. You have to change pitches. You can't just do the same thing. Even if you have the best single pitch, you can't just keep throwing it. And we really saw what this offense was, the more versatile and the more multiple they became towards the end of the year. Um, I think Dorsey leans on that a little bit more. And you add in several of the things from the pressers of multiple players talking about how aggressive he is and how competitive he is. I think he's going to build a very attack-minded offense that is based on attacking the weaknesses and exploiting the vulnerabilities of his opponent week to week, game to game, quarter to quarter, drive to drive. I think he's going to really, I think you'll see more packages in and out. Like you might see this week, we saw a ton of OJ Howard and Dawson Knox, and then we don't see OJ Howard for the next three weeks because the game plan doesn't dictate it. And this week, James Cook went off, and then we don't see James Cook for two weeks because the next couple game plans don't dictate it. Or it could be in game too. Like, man, we were giving the ball to Dawson Knox a ton in the first and second quarter, and now we're not anymore because he's just, I think he's constantly going to stay fluid and adaptable, and he's all going to be about attacking the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities of his opponent and staying fluid in that in that moment. Yeah, when you mentioned some of the rigidity of of you know Brian Dable, when you mentioned these past this past season, like I mean, everyone always mentions the three stretch run plays coming out of the half against Kansas City. That was uh, that was really rough. I always allude to like Teren Matthew going out in the first quarter of that game, and the Bills not attacking that second, you know, that backup safety until yeah. like the third and fourth quarter. And it's like, you know, these are very simple things. It's even a pass play. Like you guys are trying to pass the ball. Um, you know, there was a game a few years ago when they were playing the Cleveland Browns, and Cleveland Browns had like a terrible. Uh, pass defense, but they had a great run defense. So what does Brian Dable do? He tries to run it down their throats and the Bills can't get anywhere. They end up losing that game in a very close game. Like th- sometimes I feel like he was, he was very intelligent person. I think he had a great football mind, but sometimes it was like, 
he was trying to outcoach himself almost and like, no, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. So let's, let's, let's not do that. It's yes. like, but yeah, but that's your strength. So that outweighs, you know, be ready with a backup. Like you said, or two or three, like you said, pivot. You don't have the fastball. Fastball is not working. Like go in with a game plan. As soon as that doesn't work though, be ready to pivot to, you know, what you normally do well or something else that you do well in a different manner, right? Yes. He he would, the way I like to put it, he would try and break tendency for the sake of breaking tendency. Like it's, again, you want to be able to throw that secondary pitch. If your secondary pitch sucks, you can't throw it all the time. Like, so throw it less. You should, you should still throw it here and there to keep the hitter honest, but you shouldn't come out and be like, you know what? My curveball sucks. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm throwing all curveballs because he's going to think I'm throwing fastball. Well, if you're if you're dirting every single curveball and you're walking all the batters, you got to stop throwing the curveball. You can work it in, but you got to got to keep that fastball as your fastball. And yeah, there were times where it just seemed like he was like, you know what? They think it's going to be a pass, so we're going to run it. And then it was like, yeah, but your run game sucks right now, and you're calling runs that don't work. So that's not helping. Like you're just you're to your point. Like you're trying to kind of get too creative. You're trying to outcoach yourself a little bit. And I'm all for breaking tendency. I love it. Like if you, you know, if you think someone, someone's going to be over here to your right and they're actually over here on the left, you're like, oh crap. And we're screwed. Like, I love that, you know, misdirection and just keeping a defense honest, keeping them on their toes and, um, breaking tendency, but you have to be able to break tendency with functionality and with a purpose. You can't break it just to break it. If you're doing that, then you're not really helping yourself. You're getting behind the sticks and you're building out, you know, drives that are kind of stalling and going nowhere because you're calling things almost for the sake of calling them rather because, you know, and maybe for him, they're going to lead to a grander plan or a larger purpose, but they weren't. Um, and I, yeah, that it was problematic at multiple times. What about when it comes to personnel decision on the offensive side of the ball, um, with Brian Dable last season, you know, it ended up being that Ryan Bates was one of our best offensive linemen on the interior, um, when, when he was given the opportunity, but he was only given the opportunity after so many injuries ahead of him and Mm -hmm. people had gotten benched and lost their chance. You know, I'm talking about like Cody Ford getting benched, you know, Daryl Williams having, uh, no Daryl Williams was starting, but, um, what it was, John Feliciano Feliciano, was benched. And injured, and it was like you had, you had Ford like, and Ford and Feliciano, and then Butker. they were getting banged up, and then yeah, Butker yeah. came in, and then it was only after Butker went down that Bates went in. Yeah, who do you who do you look at that? Because to me, I guess I kind of lay the blame, maybe unfairly so, at Brian Dable because he runs the offense. Maybe the part of that was on Bobby Johnson. Now the Bills have Ken Dorsey and Aaron Cromer at that level. Um, hopefully better. I mean, when you look back at that, like is that is that a coaching issue? Like, or is it just like every, every staff has a little bad luck. Sometimes you guys don't look as good in practice as they do in real, in real game. It seemed like Mm -hmm. a big miss though, in the end, because this guy like has some legitimate talent to the fact that like three to five teams recording him when he was a restricted free agent, you know, I mean, this was, this was, this is a guy that has starter capability, but for some reason was buried on the depth chart. I mean, mm-hmm. do you look at that as like, I mean, hopefully Ken Dorsey, you know, changes that, but do you look at that as like a Brian Dable or Bobby Johnson or both kind of a, a blunder on both sides? You know, it, it, part of it is, especially if we're going to like focus on Bates and not to knock him or anything like that, but I don't think anybody was coming out last year thinking that Ryan Bates was going to be a stud. You know, he came into the league as an undrafted free agent and then traded the Bills um for I think it was linebacker Eli Harold. Eli Harold. Yep. Yeah, there you go. And Eagles, yeah. Yep, there you go. And 
just like he wasn't somebody who everybody was sitting there being like, oh, I can't believe Bates is on the bench. I can't believe Bates is on the bench. And sometimes you get somebody who gets a chance. Same thing with, you know, I know we, you know, don't like to speak his name, but Tom Brady, like Tom Brady's sitting there and no one's sitting there being like, they got to take out Bledsoe and put in this six round pick from Michigan. That'll change everything. Sometimes you catch fire or lightning in a bottle and things work out. Um, and sometimes it takes you a little while to get there. Obviously, it's got to be something on like the coaching. Like, what were they not seeing? But again, part of it's going to be on base. I think it's a little of A, a little of B. What I do think is very interesting, and to tie it into like, because this question is all about like who's the the decision making people here. I think it's very interesting that Feliciano made those comments uh, several weeks ago about you know the you know the Bills kind of you know y'all got what y'all deserved because he was upset that he wasn't playing towards the end of the year. But he goes to the Giants where Brian Dable went. And offensive line coach Bobby Johnson went. So if he was pissed at the people who weren't playing him and he followed Brian Dable and Bobby Johnson, that makes me think a little bit that they weren't the ones responsible for not playing him potentially. So maybe it was a Sean McDermott call. You know, maybe McDermott came from on high and was like, no, he's out, play someone else. It just seemed like Feliciano was genuinely bothered to the point that he was like, you know, good. I'm kind of glad that they lost, even though I was on that team. But yet you followed your offensive line coach and your offensive coordinator to this new team. So you either, you know, bygones be bygones and they paid you and you're cool with it. Or maybe they weren't the ones who were calling the shots there. Maybe it was an override from McDermott, um, which is possible, you know, with, with, how much Sean McDermott, you know, has control over everything and what he likes to do. And again, I don't think it's from a negative perspective. It's what any head coach does. Like they, they're running the ship. They're the ones who take the heat. They want to make sure their ship is nice and neat and tidy. Um, maybe it was a Sean McDermott call, you know, confer John Feliciano, which makes me think by extension, maybe Ryan Bates not getting some time was some kind of combination between Bobby Johnson, Brian Dable and Sean McDermott. Um, or again, it could be just, he wasn't showing in practice again. I like, like everything it's always some kind of combination. It's always some sort of gray area. I don't fault Dable or Bobby Johnson or Sean McDermott for not getting Bates out there earlier because, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't supposed to really be anything and nobody really knew what they had. Similarly to, I don't blame the culture trading Jerry Hughes for Calvin Shepard because when that trade happened, nobody was like, oh my God, you know, Colts just got fleeced. This is going to be amazing. Everybody was just like, okay, we'll see what Jerry Hughes can be. He was a first round pick. He hasn't panned out. We'll see what happens. And then he became Jerry Hughes and he's still playing and Calvin Shepard's a coach somewhere. So sometimes things, yeah, you know, just catch fire and lightning in a bottle. I don't blame anyone too much. Um, and we'll see what happens this year with Bates, you know, in a f- kind of a full-time starting role with larger sample size. Yeah. It's kind of like all the things that you just pointed to there. I never really thought about with John Feliciano leaving for the New York Giants and then following Brian Dable and Bobby Johnson. If those were the guys that truly benched him then why would you follow him if you're that pissed off it might have been something else you're like it's like the true detective poster behind you right like you're playing true detective here right time is a flat circle (laughs) or either that or you're like charlie in always sunny philadelphia where you're like in the (laughs) mail room with peppy sylvia Sylvia, there is no carol in hr and and then mac is like not only do all these people work here they've been complaining about not getting their mail for weeks we got fired and he was like oh yeah i got it charlie's like oh yeah i got our pig slips a week ago (laughs) 
<laughs> I mailed him halfway around yeah. the world. <laughs> he takes a cigarette out of Pepe <laughs> Oh man! So I'll let you. I'll leave it to you. Which one you think that you're closer to? But probably uh, a little of both. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but like both. I like reading behind the lines. It's disguise coverage. It's reading between the lines. You know, if you want to do another podcast about these conspiracy theories and stuff like that, oh, I, I should you. just like a football conspiracy theory show. And Absolutely. yeah, it's, again, some of it is just part of. Like you mentioned, like the doldrums and the slowness of the off season. Like I'm sitting here watching pressers transcribing everything from everyone, trying to find common words and themes and sentences to put a bigger picture together and, you know, get blood from a stone and, you know, you take it wherever you can to put meaningful content out. So that way you're not just like, well, the bills are going to be good. And that's this episode of disguise coverage. And then you end it like, I'm not trying to do that. I got it. I got it. And you never do. You never disappoint. So let's talk about the new players on the roster um, to watch the season. I'm talking draft picks. I'm talking free agents. You know, we mentioned some of the free agent additions along the defensive line. Um, If there was like one or two players that you're looking to really watch this season, whether it's a draft pick, whether it's, you know, a a new free agent, a newly acquired free agent, um, who... When when you really want to see them in training camp, who are you really looking to get your hands on and get some get some views on and really get you know your eyes on when uh, when the pads go on and uh, and you know you, you have access to that? Oh, this is a tough one because there's there's so many. I'm 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 a, oh, I really from a free agent perspective. I know most people be like oh Von Miller. I'm very excited for Daquan Jones. Um, I loved his tape coming out. We did a couple episodes in the Cover One film room about potential free agent targets at multiple positions. Daquan Jones was one of the guys. And so we were in on his film early in February. Um, and I kind of fell in love with him early. And so to see him, um, come and just with his skill set and what he can do, I'm very excited, um, for his potential for this defensive line and for what it could mean for, like I mentioned earlier, for Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. Um, but I'm really more excited for a lot of the rookies and I'll, I'll, Actually, I, I, I'll touch on briefly on all of them because I'm genuinely excited for a lot because they all mean different things, right? Like Kyrie Elam, you know, we'll start in order with the first round pick. I wanted an, a corner, a round one corner for the last several years. And granted, Kyrie Elam was not in my first tier of corners for this draft in my evaluation. He was in that second tier. But with his skill set and his ability, I think he could really be something with the Buffalo Bills, given what Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have done for, with, with developing and you know getting guys in the secondary to raise their floor and raise their ceiling. Kyrie Elam's skill set and traits at this point, just what he offers, you really can maximize you know his skill tree and really build him out. And what, he, what I'm excited for for him, because if he can be what the Bills need him to be, it unlocks so much of this defense and so much of the secondary, the ability to shift more between man and zone coverage, which they already did a decent amount of last year, considering Levi Wallace had his limitations. Then even still, when Tredavious White went out and it was Dane Jackson and Levi who both have limitations, but now you've got a plus athlete who can match up better with bigger or faster guys. You've got a corner who you don't have to shade a safety over the top to help protect in certain one-on-one scenarios. You can play different games and have different rules and checks and alerts based on offensive formations and alignments and motion that you don't always have to account for with more bodies because you have a vulnerability at that corner number two spot because now you've got a higher end athlete who also has technique who you can trust to be relied on in one-on-one situations similar to what Tredavious White is and when you've got a guy who can live on more of an island by himself and play at a higher level it allows everybody else to succeed and part of it again is long term because 
I don't know what Jordan Poyer's future is. I don't know what Micah Hyde is or Hyde's future is. It would be very nice if we knew Tredavious White and Kyrie Elam were solid for the next several years and we didn't have to worry about the corner position. That would be huge. After that, James Cook, I've been clamoring for a plus matchup running back. I like Devin Singletary and I still even like Zach Moss, but neither of them are a plus matchup anywhere. Devin Singletary is a, is average to above average at almost everything. And I don't mean that as a slight or a negative, like he's a good player, but he doesn't have anything that's like a nine out of 10 or an 8.5 out of 10. Everything he's like, like a six to a seven and a half, which is good. But I thought the bills could really use whether it was a power back or a speed threat or a receiving threat or some combination like that to really hit on a plus matchup that could really open up this offense. And James Cook is a tremendous route running running back. I think he offers a little more in the running game that he's being given credit for, although he will need to shore some things up, but he has a lot of unlocking potential for this offense. I'm excited for Terrell Bernard because I want to know what it means going forward. Are the Bills going to use more three linebacker sets? Is he there to supplant Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds? Because he, he plays more of the Milano role, but based on Milano's contract, you would think that he's not going anywhere. Plus, Milano is fantastic, and I wouldn't want him to go anywhere. Are they going to use more sub packages? Because his best, his best attribute, he's a good cover linebacker, but he's a tremendous blitzer. That's his best attribute. He blitzes like like a missile. He comes forward with bad intentions and violence in a variety of ways. How do they use him? Because you spent a day two pick in the third round on him when there were some good offensive linemen available that you could have had and filled an area of need. Instead, you went with Bernard. What are their plans for him? They speak very highly of him. Dave Aranda, his coach at Baylor, uh, former defensive coordinator at LSU and Wisconsin, who's tremendous, who has ties to Sean McDermott, raves about him. What does he look like? What is the return on investment? And then Khalil Shakir, um, one of my favorite guys in the draft coming in. And I think receiver is a sneaky position of need going forward. Um, Jameson Crowder's on a one-year deal. He's had health concerns. Isaiah McKenzie has never truly owned a wide receiver three role. Can he, or have we seen what he really is? Gabriel Davis is fantastic. Is he going to be able to be resigned? Because wide receivers get paid big time on the open market when they're free agents. And the way he's trending, he's going to get paid big time money. Christian Kirk got four years, $72 million with $37 million guaranteed. Some team is going to back up a Brinks truck for Gabriel Davis. Do you have something in the pipeline ready to go? I think Khalil Shakir can contribute as a rookie and has the potential to be even a solid wide receiver too, and more than just a slot receiver going forward. Um, so I've got my eyes really on a lot of the rookies because I think one, they can make an impact this year, but also a lot of them have a very strong influence on what this team is going to be in the future, given the positions that they play and where they were drafted and what it means for future moves. Yeah. Well, this has been such a great time talking with you, Anthony. I appreciate all your time that you've taken. Um, like I mentioned before, it, it was it, it, it was ad, as advertised, at least in my head, as advertised, because I had wanted to talk to you for some time, um, been following you for a long time, um, as you started to get on with Cover One, and as your career has succeeded in power, or Cover One uh, on, on the podcast and on the YouTube channel, um, you guys are doing great things over there, as always. Um, where can they find all of your work on, you know, for your podcast and, and your YouTube channel? Where can they find, you know, your social media handles, TikTok, everything that you do? 
Sure. So you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. I am the host of Disguise Coverage live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on YouTube. And then once I'm done with the live stream, that gets uploaded to all the podcasting apps and platforms. I am also one of the three co-hosts of the Cover One Film Room live every Tuesday at 7 p.m., where we take a look at game tape. In the off-season, it's more like individual scouting pieces and holistic things. But in-season, you'll find us every Tuesday going over game film from the previous game and breaking down you know, one side of the ball or certain aspects in the game that really decided the game or certain matchups or players um, and giving you guys really the breakdown of the X's and O's and the how's and why's behind you know, what, what you're seeing on the field and why it's happening. Um, and that's me pretty much in a nutshell. And you can find me here anytime that you want to have me back. I, uh, I was super pumped when you reached out and I had a great time and, you know, we were kind of just chatting offline and, you know, I kind of dug your vibe from the beginning and then just being here live and recording. Uh, I had a really great time. So anytime you want me back, you got me. Yeah, well, definitely. I will absolutely have to have you back on again. Again, this is the the film buff, the true detective, the salary capologist, the the Charlie, the looking for Pepe Sylvia in the mailroom guy. This is uh, you know Anthony from Cover One, disguise coverage, every single thing that he does, uh, truly, truly spectacular, truly amazing. Um, so glad to have you on, and uh, yeah, thanks again. No, thanks for having me, man. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate.